We dive in today into a brand new series entitled uh, Big Choices. When you think about it, our lives are in large part, for, especially for those of us who are adults, are pretty much the result of all the choices that we've made in the past. I mean, when you think about where you are today and what your life is like today, wouldn't you say that the majority of where you are is a result of the choices that you've made in the past? Some things have happened to you that you didn't choose but most of where you are and how you live, it's about the choices that you made in the past. I mean, think for just a moment about just the myriad of, of decisions, choices that you made along the way, going all the way back to how serious were you about school, way back when you were in middle school and high school, how seriously did you take your education, what did you choose to do when you got out of high school, what did you choose to do during those early years of adulthood, who did you hang with, did you decide to get married, who you decided to get married to if you chose to get married, you know, decisions about having kids, where you'd live, what you'd do for a living, early on decisions that you made about Am I going to be somebody who only lives within my means and only buys what I can pay for in cash? Or will I use credit to leverage a more comfortable life earlier on? Think about those decisions that you made early on and how much it impacts where you are right now. How much freedom you feel or how much pressure you feel. The decisions that we make, the choices that we make have so impacted who we are today. Now, you carry that idea forward and you realize the life that you'll live next year. And the next is very much dictated by the choices that you'll make today, this month, and this year, aren't they? It's so important that we make wise choices. And so throughout the month of October, we're going to be talking about the big choices that we make in life. And some of the choices that we're going to talk about, they're not just one-time decisions. They're the kinds of choices that you have to make day in and day out, that you have to be intentional to make the right kinds of choices. And I'm going to take just a moment to say a word about next Sunday, because we're going to have fun with next Sunday, but it's really important what we're going to be talking about next Sunday. So let me ask you to be real honest with me on the front end, thinking toward next Sunday. How many of you in the room, if you're honest, would say, I'm a control freak, and I'll be the first to raise my hand? Come on, control freaks, get your hands up. There you go. Thank you for your honesty. Now, if you're a control freak, reach over and grab your neighbor's hand and put their hand up, too, just because you're a control freak. Feels good, doesn't it? If you're a control freak, be here next Sunday. If you're seated next to a control freak, make sure that you have them here with you next Sunday. Control freaks, come early. Take control of the situation. Get here early so you can pick your seat, be in control, choose it strategically so that if it's not a good message or you need to leave, you can get out quickly and be in control. No, next Sunday is going to be about choosing surrender over control. It's a really important message. It's one that I think will hit home for most all of us, but it'll also be a, a fun message along the way. But today we're going to be focusing on something altogether different. And as we start... I want to just do a little exercise with you. I want you to work with me. Those of you watching and listening uh, online, join with us in this. I want you to all close your eyes for just a minute. We're going to engage our imagination. So at home, watching online, close your eyes. Everybody, eyes closed. Go there with me. I want you to just imagine for a moment your life, but one thing has changed. Everyone around you likes you and approves of every decision that you make. You are now free to say what you want to say, be what you want to be. You can make the choices that you want to make. Dress like you want to dress. Do what you want to with your hair. Spend your money the way you want to spend it. Pursue whatever dream you wanted to chase. You live the life that you want to live and everyone approves. Everyone likes you. Everyone applauds what you're doing. Now look at me. 
Did that feel good? Did you like that? Would you want that life? Well, let me just say, I hope you enjoyed that because that's as close to it as you're going to get. You'll never have that life. Amen? In reality, that never happens. Because the truth of the matter is, as much as you'd wish for it, you will never live a life that everyone is pleased with and that everyone approves of. We all know that the the reality of life is that we live with this burden of knowing that no matter what you choose, somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's going to talk about you. Somebody, at least in private, is going to voice their disapproval of what you've done about what you wore or where you went on vacation or what you bought or what you said. Somebody is going to disapprove of every part of your life in the real world. And we live with that burden. Now, you don't have to close your eyes for this one, but the other half of the exercise is just this. Imagine now a different reality. Imagine living a life where you don't care what anybody thinks. Where no one's opinion matters to you at all except for that of the Lord Jesus. Imagine getting to that liberating place in life that only Jesus' opinion matters to you. That you can live completely free every day to please an audience of only one and everybody else can go take a flying leap because it's only Jesus opinion that matters to you that you get to a place that you are so in love with him and you are so connected to his plan and his purposes for your life that everybody else's opinion just really has no reason for mattering to you because Why would you ask anybody else what your purpose in life is anyway? He's the one who made you. He's the one who has the plan. And you've been set free to just live for him. How good does that sound? That's the reality that we're pursuing. But we all face a pitfall. We all face a trap. And that is that without meaning to and without trying to, if we're not very careful and intentional in avoiding it, we will all fall into the trap of needing to please other people, of worrying about what other people think. Because if we're not intentional about things, it's very easy to forget about this God that we can't see. I mean, it's not like he's showing up with picture ID for your quiet time in the morning, is he? And saying, just want to remind you today what your purpose is in life and how pleased I am when you do A, B, and C. I mean, that didn't happen in your quiet time, does it? But you run into all these other flesh and blood people who do have interactions with you. And it's so very clear to us that they approve of this, but they don't approve of that. And, and we just, without meaning to, we become addicted to needing to have the approval of others. And we find ourselves over time landing at this needy place that we never set out to get to, but where we're we're worried about, you know, what are they going to think about what I'm wearing? I mean, is there any day, ladies, particularly on Sundays, is there any day that's worse than Sunday for having to worry about that? Well, what's everybody going to think about, you know, what I wear? Is this going to be a little too high? Is this going to be a little too low? Is this going to be a a little overdressed? Am I too underdressed? And it's not just ladies. Guys, we worry about this kind of stuff too. But just think about all that. Our appearance. Do I I look okay? You know, what are they going to think about what I'm driving? Are they going to think that, you know, I'm flamboyant? Are they going to think, you know, I'm low class? What are people going to think? 
And I mean, it just, it gets expressed in so many ways, not just in what we wear and in what we drive and the house that we live in. I mean, now, think how far into just the silly little details of our lives. When we post stuff online, when we post it on Facebook, we fret about who liked it and who didn't like it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to the point that you're just like, you know, I can't believe that these people never like my posts. I mean, I like their posts. Why don't they like my posts back? I follow you on Instagram. Why don't you follow me back? I mean, do you really like me? I texted you. You didn't text me back. It's been six minutes. I mean, I sent that text. I saw bubbles. I saw bubbles at the bottom of the screen, and I didn't get a message, but I saw the bubbles. You, you read. I know you read. And I thought you liked me. Do you see how we just become totally enslaved to needing the love and approval of other people? Today is going to be about making some daily choices of choosing to live for purpose over popularity. And really, popularity doesn't even catch it all. You may just want to write in at the top of your outline, next to popularity, choosing purpose over popularity and pleasing others. Because that's the the trap. I mean... I know when we're adults, we would say, I don't live for popularity. That was, that was very middle school. Okay, popularity has a different name today. It's called pleasing others. Being you know, liked by others. Always being affirmed by others. You know, Come on, like my stuff. Like my, my latest post. Like me. Approve of me. Today, together, let's choose to live for God's purposes over popularity. Why don't you say that with me? I choose to live for purpose over popularity. Now let's do it together. I choose to live for purpose over popularity. That's what it's about today. You know, one of the passages in Acts chapter 13, I assure you, if you're reading through Acts, you won't stop and camp on this passage. It's one of those that you'll always just fly by. But Paul, in talking about the Lord Jesus, he compares him to King David, and he makes just this one passing statement about David, my favorite character from the Old Testament. And he says in Acts thirteen thirty six, David served God's purpose in his own generation, and then he died and was buried with his ancestors. I want you to just for a moment pause on the first statement in that. David served or fulfilled God's purpose in his own generation, and then he died. If one simple statement could be made about your life or mine when it's all said and done, I want that to be it. That I just fulfilled God's purpose for my life. In my generation, it was impacted the way that God intended for my life to impact my generation. However big, however small, God just got to do what he set out to do. His purposes were fulfilled. Don't you want that to be the end result of your life? That God did what he wanted to do with you and then he took you home. However old or young you were, he just did all he set out to do. And then it's like, come on home. We're done. We can spend eternity together now. That's the goal. Now we look at David's life and go, wow, did God evermore fulfill his purposes in David's life? I mean, think about the grand purposes that God had for David. David didn't seek this out. God sought him out. I mean, his life is such a perfect example. He's the the baby of the family. He's the kid out tending the sheep and... 
God said, oh, I look at him, though, and I see a passionate heart. I see a man after my own heart. I see a a man who will be a shaper of others' lives. I have made of him a great leader. He's going to be one who influences everybody he comes in contact with. He's going to have a passion that's contagious. Everybody who gets around David is going to share in that passion so that when David grows up and he's going into battle in situations that there's no way he ought to be able to win, he constantly comes out victorious because he's one, he's a fearless leader, but he's just such a passionate leader and that just spills over and people are willing to follow him into situations that it looks like are going to be certain death and yet David is always victorious in battle. He's a great leader. He's the the greatest leader that Israel would ever know in its history and he's passionate about his pursuit of God and it's so contagious and the people follow him in their pursuit of God. And we look at David and we say, for 40 years he faithfully led God's people. Yes, he fulfilled God's purposes for his life. Victory after victory, leading the people to God. It was, it was fulfilled in his life, but when you look at his life, you're going to see that the things that we'll talk about today are so true. David didn't start out by meditating on, I wonder what God's great purpose for my life is. No, David just was being faithful in the ordinary things of tending the sheep and doing his daily responsibilities. And along the way, he began to bump into the purposes of God in his life. Now, I want to just say on the front end, this is actually one of the big thoughts for the day. Make sure you've got this in your notes. That living for the approval of people will keep you from the purposes of God. Let me say that again because that's hugely important for us to grasp. This is the problem for us, that living for the approval of people, it will keep you from the purposes of God. Because when we're consumed with worrying about what people think, we will totally lose track with what God thinks and what God is saying. I'll never forget as a young adult and really becoming engaged in the political process of, you know, really following what's happening in terms of of government and politics and, and being able to vote and really trying to be in tune with with who stood for what. And in the 90s, watching a president and just the the whole crowd surrounding him take an approach to leading our nation where they led by public opinion and didn't make any bones about it. That when there was a decision that needed to be made on a significant issue, that the people who surrounded him would would literally conduct surveys across the country. They, you know, there are companies that do this, and they would use these surveys to poll the American populace and to just find out on the front end what's going to be the more popular position to take before the president would take a position. And then he would make a public statement based upon the response of the people. Let's see what the popular opinion is, and then let's take a stand based on what the most common popular opinion is. And I remember being so turned off to that, thinking, what do you stand for? You were elected based on what you supposedly stood for and what you were going to lead us to do. And now that you're in office, you're saying, well, before I tell you what I believe about this issue, let me ask what all of you believe. And based on that, then I'll tell you what I believe. You can't lead that way. You can't make a positive difference in the world that way. Worrying about public opinion first, what other people think. Being consumed with what other people think will always keep you from the purposes of God. So today's challenge is to make the choice to live for God's 
purposes over popularity or over people's opinions. Now, the Old Testament gives us some great examples. One of the, the most beautiful examples of somebody living for God's purposes is Moses. You remember the story of Moses. He should have been born a slave, but instead God miraculously works so that he's adopted into Pharaoh's family. He should have been making bricks. He should have been you know, abused and mistreated, and yet the first 40 years of his life, he lives with just unbelievable luxury. He lives in the palace. He lives the life that every Jew wishes that they could have had. That's the life for Moses. But along the way, God makes sure that Moses has secret opportunities to reconnect with his true family and find out who he is. And his heart is always drawn back toward his own people, God's people, who are suffering. And he has to make some tough choices. He can live the life that everyone will love him and everyone will go, Ooh, Moses, what a great man. He'll have the approval of people and he'll have all the comfort and popularity that go with that. Or he can choose... To identify with the suffering people of God. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says in summary of, of Moses' life and the decisions that he made, he says it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasure of sin, which reminds us there is pleasure in sin, but it's a, a fleeting thing. He thought it was better. Everyone say better. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. There's a great thought there. A lot of times we'll fall into the theological trap of believing, listen, as long as I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm saved and baptized, I'm heaven bound, we're all going to essentially get the same reward, right? We're all going to the same heaven. No, Moses clearly understood it's how you live your life that determines the reward you get for all of eternity. Then Moses knew if he did the hard thing, if he lived for God's purpose for his life, he would have a far greater reward as a result, or he could sacrifice that, and he could live for pleasure now, he could live for comfort now, and say, well, I hate it for all those Jews. I'm just glad I don't have to live out in Goshen where they live. Sounds like a rough place. No, he chose to live for God's purposes for his life. He didn't fully comprehend what those were. For decades, he just had to discover day by day what God had for him. And it's only sort of after the fact, looking over your shoulder, that you look back and go, Wow. That was what God was up to. We look back and go, Moses, the great deliverer, the great lawgiver. Absolutely. God's purposes were fulfilled through Moses' life. But Moses didn't know in advance what all that was going to look like, what that was going to be. Now, I want to take a time out here because I realize it's probably right about here that some of us are getting pretty uncomfortable or disinterested. Because anytime somebody starts talking about God's great purpose for your life, there's a significant percentage of us who go, that's just the problem. I don't have a clue what God's purpose for my life is. I hate when people talk about God's purpose for life because I don't know what mine is. I feel totally disconnected when you start talking about that. And what we need to do is just demystify the whole purpose of God thing. The problem is when we talk about God's purpose singularly, you know, God's purpose for my life... We tend to think of it like, you know, God's purpose, capital P. God's great grand purpose, like, you know, I'm waiting for the day God reveals his purpose. George, I want you to be a missionary to China. Or let's say it like Donald, China. I want you to be a missionary. You know, this is your great purpose in life. The big, big stuff. Patrick, 
I want you to be the great law reformer. I want you to be the one who stands before the Supreme Court. This is your your grand purpose in life. Terry, I want you to be a doctor one day. I want you to cure cancer. Your great purpose in life. I don't know what it is that you imagine is your great purpose, but so many times we make God's purpose for our lives this one overarching thing that's supposed to change the world. And because we can't identify what that is, we just feel like, I just don't know God's purpose for my life. And let me tell you, that is not how you need to think about God's purposes for your life. First of all, let's, let's make two changes to that. Instead of God's big capital P purpose, singular, let's make two changes. Let's stick an S at the end and think in terms of not one purpose, but God's many purposes for your life. And let's make that capital P into a little p. Instead of God calling you to the mission field to change a continent, or calling you into medicine to cure all diseases, or making you the wealthiest person so you can be a bigger philanthropist than the world has ever seen before, how about if you and I just become people who on ordinary days discover for today, October 9th, 2016, some of the little p purposes that God has for us today. That's where the will of God's discovered and done. The will of God isn't about finding some gigantic purpose for your life. It's about today walking in the little p purposes that God has for your life. Do you know what those look like? Those look like the most ordinary encounters where you just felt this little prompting to go over and speak to somebody that you normally wouldn't have spoken to here today. And you just felt the need to hug their neck and to just say, I'm so glad to see you. I've missed you. It, it's just, it always makes me smile to see you. And in that moment, you touched a heart that needed to be ministered to today. And you didn't know what they were going through. It's just responding to that nudge to pick up the phone and call somebody that you normally wouldn't have called today. And just say, hey, I was just thinking about you and just really wanted to check in and see how you're doing today. And on the other end, they're thinking, how did you know to call today? How did you know how much my heart was hurting and how lonely I felt? How did you know that? You didn't. You just felt that little inner nudge that was the Holy Spirit's voice going, you need to do this. This is my purpose for you today. God's purpose for you today can be as simple as just meeting a need. It could be going to a restaurant after church today and at lunch you feel this little inner nudge that even though it has nothing to do with the proper amount to tip your waiter or waitress and yet something inside you says to just leave them an extra 20 Or leave them an extra 50, and I don't mean cents, you know. And maybe just to leave a note that says, you know, God loves you and wants you to know it today. Not so that you can show off and flex your giving muscle, but just because the Spirit of God knew that that person needed to be loved and touched today. I'll give you a prime example. On a... Friday, Jackie and I were flying back from California. We're coming through the airport in Houston Friday night, and we had a, like a three-hour layover there, so we'd gone to Panda Express to, to eat dinner, and we'd just finished. And we were leaving the kind of common dining area there. And if you've never flown through Houston, it's like you know DFW or O'Hare. I mean, it's just one of the bigger airports, big five-terminal airport, busy, busy airport. And we're getting up to leave, and there's a lady that we had passed by earlier. She's there... I don't know if I'm assuming a single mom, there's no other adult with her, and she's got two little kids, like preschool, maybe maybe a kindergartner and one much younger, and a stroller, and, you know, the, the other junk that you've got to carry along when you're going through an airport. And it's just her and these little ones. And I'm thinking, 
I'm struggling to get to the airport and get through it, and I don't have any kids. I've just got all our junk, all the books that we bought, and all the junk we got in California. And I'm, you know, just trying to haul all of our stuff. Well, this lady's gone through Panda Express, too, and she got her stuff to go. So she's got the big square styrofoam container jam-packed with Chinese food. And she makes it into the middle of the main concourse there of Terminal B, and it's busy, people coming and going. And as she's trying to get her kids and her stroller and her food along the way there, uh, somehow that, that slips and falls onto the floor, and you know the lid pops, and basically there's a small explosion of Chinese food out onto the concourse there. I didn't see it happen. I just saw it right after that moment. Jackie saw it, and, and she immediately you know, moved into action. We weren't real close to her when it happened, but the, the thing that's so striking as you're watching this is all these people in a busy airport just coming and going, here's this... We assume single mom with these little kids and all this stuff. And she's just stuck in the middle of the concourse with all this Chinese food around her on the floor. And, you know, she's got the couple of napkins that they give you that aren't hardly enough to wipe snot off your nose, you know, much less half a Chinese lunch on on the concourse floor. And she's, you know, trying to figure out what am I going to do with this. And Jackie immediately takes off to the other side of the restaurant and grabs a bunch of napkins and goes to the middle of the concourse where the ladies. And not one other person has stopped or, you know, done anything. It's just like she's just sort of an oddity to walk by and look at. Jackie gets in the floor and is like, you know, let me help you. And she's down on her hands and knees and helping her get this stuff up. She's like, were you able to save enough of your dinner? Do you know, do you want to go back and get some more? And the lady's like, no, 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 you know, it's, it's fine. We'll, we'll make do with this. And they get it all cleaned up and collected and move on their way. The whole exchange probably didn't take more than two minutes. And they're gone. Have no idea who they are. Jackie didn't lead anybody to Jesus. Didn't baptize any children along the way. We didn't cure any diseases. But I want to tell you most assuredly in that moment, what I got to stand back and watch was Jackie fulfilling God's little p purpose for at least some portion of her life for that day. We've all been, in some shape or form, been in that lady's position, haven't we? Where in some place in public, you are stretched beyond your limits, and then something takes you a step further, and you're like... I don't know what to do. What, I mean, what do you do in a moment like that? Everybody's walking by. Nobody's helping. I'm, I'm like, I, what, how am I going to fix this? And in that moment, it would just be so easy to want to go, God, do you hate me? <laughs> what is going on here? And to just have one person stop and care and help can feel like in that moment that God has sent an angel directly to you just to do something as small as that. Now, it's, it's a minute or two of time. It's a, it's a simple act. And yet, I would dare say that in that moment, a very significant little P purpose got fulfilled by just grabbing some napkins and getting on the floor and cleaning up and just expressing a little bit of human compassion. And you may say, we're... So what were you doing while all this was happening? My little pea purpose was pee for pack mule. I was carrying 50 pounds of gear just watching this happening and cheering what, what was happening there. But, you know, everybody has a different purpose for today. A different set of purposes. Don't get lost looking for the big P purpose and miss the fact that the most significant thing that God has for you to do today may be in one or two minutes of time when you speak to someone, when you meet a need, when you offer a word of encouragement, when you just respond to a little prompting from the Spirit to go over and say, you know, you've just been on my heart. Is there anything that I could pray for you about? How about if we pray together over that right now? And that may be the most significant purpose that you fulfill for 
today, and you may never know how much of an impact that has. But here's the cool thing. Day by day, as you learn to have a heart that's attentive to God's purposes and is responsive to those things, you get better at recognizing them and walking in them. And over time, what you'll discover is some kind of medium-sized P purposes come along. Some bigger opportunities. Because you see, God says, those who are faithful in the little things, he'll then trust with bigger things. And so God begins to, begins to give you some opportunities to do some things beyond just wiping up Chinese food on the concourse floor. He gives, gives you some opportunities to have what clearly is going to have a bigger impact on other people and, and larger numbers of people, longer term impacts. And when you continue to walk in those things, I'll tell you what will wind up happening. You'll look over your shoulder and you'll begin to look, like, look back and in much the same way that I'm sure Moses and David could look back later on in life and go, wow. I see now where God was doing some bigger stuff through my life than I ever dreamed that he was going to do. I think I see some capital P purposes that have been unfolding here. And it's usually only in the rearview mirror that you begin to recognize those. But you've been walking in them as day by day. You just fulfilled a lot of little P purposes. Are you with me? Oh, church, do we need to rewind? Are you with me? That's, that's important stuff. And there's power in that life. There is power in living for God's purposes instead of for people's approval. I want to tell you quickly three things, three ways that living for God's purposes will free you up in the power of walking in that. The first thing is this. Living for God's purposes, it will diminish the distractions that you have in life. Now, the biggest distraction that we have is comparing ourselves to other people. Would you agree with that? That's one of the biggies. Do you ever get tangled up by that? You may not talk out loud about it, but we all do it. You know, you look at other people and go, I, I don't understand why they're doing better than I am. I mean, they're not smarter, are they? So why have they got a more comfortable life? Why has she got a better job? Why has he got a, a you know, happier life? Why, why have they got a bigger house? You know, why is it that... He's married and got a family now, and, you know, I'm not married. Why is it she's got three kids, and, you know, I'm just hoping to get engaged? Or why is it that, you know, I'm married, and we've tried and tried, we've never had anything but miscarriages, and they've got all these healthy kids? Why is it their kids have turned out great, and my kids are always in trouble? Why? Why is it so different for me? Why is it that she's already graduated and out of college, and I've still got two years left and trying to figure out what my major's going to be? Why is my life so much harder? Why is it her hair always turns out perfect and mine's always, you know, what, why? Why is their complexion always perfect and I've always got tits? Why, why isn't my life better than what it is? Why do they have so much? I struggle to pay my bills. Comparison. It's a beast. Can I tell you a little secret that isn't a happy one? I don't know of any other group of people on the planet who struggle more with this than pastors do. Pastors compare more than any group of people I've ever met. You can't get three pastors together for five minutes without them wanting to compare. Now they've got to try and figure out some subtle way of saying it. Some of them are just so brash, they, they aren't even subtle at all. They'll just say straight up, hey brother, how you doing and how many are you running? Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate, you know. In other words, I want to see how I stack up against you. What you're running. What are your numbers? How many show up for church on Sunday? What's your budget look like? You know, we've got to compare. 
And there's only two things that will come out of those comparisons. Pride or discouragement. Think about it. You see, if I'm superior to you, I can now have pride about that. Or, if y'all are doing far better than we're doing, I'm just such a loser. What am I doing over here? I mean, and in your own way, you've probably struggled with the same stuff. We're just so tempted to to need to compare ourselves to other people. And we get so distracted and weighed down by these comparisons. I want to tell you just a great Old Testament example of how living for God's purposes just so frees you up from that. Do you remember a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Nehemiah? Such a great character. Nehemiah lived during the latter part of the Old Testament story. He lived in the years when Judah, which was all that was left of God's people because Israel had long since been defeated and carried away by the Assyrians, Judah and Benjamin, collectively, had been uh, defeated by the Babylonians. And you know the whole thing of how they had been deported. They had been carried away uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. And so, for 70 years, the people of God have lived under the rule of the Babylonians, and then the Medes, and then the Persians. And eventually, God fulfilled his promise to allow his people to return to the Holy Land. And so, there are three different periods where the different kings, under God's hand... Let them go back and repatriate the Holy Land. And so Nehemiah is a leader that's allowed to go back in while this cycle, one of these cycles has been taking place to see how things are going back in Israel. So he's never seen the homeland. He's grown up in exile. And so he gets to go back and he's been hearing how life is being rebuilt and, and is being reclaimed. And so he goes back to the holy city. You remember Jerusalem, you know, the city of David. The holy city. This is the place where the temple and the center of worship is. I mean, if you want to know how Israel is doing, go check out Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he is just grieved. He's, he's so saddened and angry at the same time by what he finds there. Now let me just say it as an aside. When you start feeling those two emotions, deeply grieved but filled with righteous indignation and anger, pay attention Because in those moments, you probably are getting pretty close to one of God's significant purposes for your life. Because, see, that's passion welling up in you. David didn't look around and go, well, that's just so sad. Bless their hearts. He's a good southerner. He would have said that, you know. Bless their hearts. It's looking rough. He got to Jerusalem, and it was a wreck. Jerusalem wasn't a city. Jerusalem was a pile of rubble. There was no wall there. I mean, the people were living unprotected. He basically came back to a refugee camp is what he came back to. And his heart was so grieved, and he was so stirred by this. He, he wasn't just going, well, that's just pathetic. I think I'll go back to Babylon. He's like, somebody's got to do something. And I can't just sit back and wait for somebody to do something. I've got to do something. And so he got busy, and he got in there and assessed things. And he said, for starters, I know God would have us rebuild the wall. You can't have a city in ancient times without a wall to protect it so that a, a thriving, flourishing life can exist inside the wall. We've got to rebuild the walls of the city. But that's a gigantic task and how could that possibly be done but he's operating under the anointing of God so he's leading the people to begin to rebuild the walls now immediately he's going to face opposition over and over the story of Nehemiah if you such a great little book as they begin to rebuild the wall this huge task Nehemiah is just right in the middle of it he's the organizer of the whole thing but he's also in there and and they are you know halfway through building the wall so he's involved in this huge task sweaty dirty task just putting rocks on the wall rebuilding the wall and in the middle of this 
tremendous opposition led by guys by the name of uh, Tobiah and uh, Sanballat and Geshem. These were three men who were leaders in the region, but they were not Jews. They were friends of the Jews. These weren't the kind of friends that you wanted, though. These were the kind of friends who pretended to be your allies, but ultimately they were going to do their best to make sure that things stayed just as they were. Because they benefited from the oppression and weakness of the Jewish people, and they were there to make sure that they stayed where they were. Have you ever had friends like that? To your face, they are your friends. And yet, to spend time with them, you walk away, and you feel like somebody has sucked something out of your soul because of spending time with them. You ever had friends like that? You may not know what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe you've been blessed to never have those kind of friends. People that they claim to be your friends to your face. They act like they're your friends. And yet something in your, your soul's you know, gas gauge says, the tank is always lower when I've left these people. I've had some of those friends. The kind of friends that you felt worse about yourself when you left their company than you did when you got there. Let me tell you, there's only one solution to that. You've got to find some new friends. You don't need those kinds of friends. They aren't your friends. Nehemiah understood this. He's in the middle of rebuilding the wall. These three are after him. They're trying to slow him down. We need to talk about this, Nehemiah. We need to talk about what you're doing here. And so in Nehemiah 6, they're at it again. So Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, Nehemiah, let's meet together in Kepharim on the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this answer. I am doing a great work, and I can't come down. That's a great line. I'm doing a great work. I haven't got time for this. I don't want the work to stop while I leave to meet you. Sanballat and Geshem sent the same message to me four times. And each time, I sent back the same answer. What's the answer that he sent back? In South Alabama terms, I ain't got time for this. I ain't got time for your foolishness. I'm not coming to your meeting. I'm not coming to your lunch. I ain't got time for this. I'm doing a great work. I'm doing the work God called me to. I ain't got time for your foolishness. Somebody here today needs to hear that. Somebody here today needs to start saying that. You need to start saying this in your head again and again. God's given me a great work. I ain't got time for this. I ain't got time for this discouragement. I ain't got time for these comparisons. I've got a great work to do. Now, some of you, your great work right now is to be a good student. It doesn't feel like a great work, does it? Well, I want to tell you, when you're hauling rocks and slowly stacking them on top of a wall, that doesn't feel like a great work. That feels like something you're never going to finish, kind of like being a student. When you're in the middle of being a student, you may feel like, I'm never going to get through this. I feel like the stone I'm trying to pick up is algebra, and I can't get it. You're doing a great work. Don't be discouraged in it. Don't think that God's purposes in your life are not being fulfilled right now to get through algebra, to get through those classes, to finish this year, to get on to the next. That's the great work that you're doing. I thought I'd be in school forever. I will tell you, I'm educated far beyond my intelligence. I thought I would never get out of school. When you're in the middle of doing that, you can lose heart. Don't you lose heart, students. You're doing a great work. God is building a foundation for you. It's a platform from which He's going to launch you to do all kinds of things. You stay with that great work. You're fulfilling a lot of little p purposes doing that work. Some of you, your work right now, your little p purpose may be that God is just 
prompting you every day to do everything in your power to get out of debt. That feels so small when you're doing it. It feels smaller than lifting stones. That translates to maybe a brown bag in your lunch every day. Driving an old car while everybody else has got something cool and shiny and new. You feel so bad about that every time you park just next to somebody with a shiny new car. And yet, God has you doing a great work. He's getting you out of debt. He's positioning you to do great things that you can't even imagine yet that you could only do when you get to a place that you're financially free. You're doing a great work. Don't you stop it. Some of you, God has doing one of the greatest works on earth. He has you serving as a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. And you are pouring your hour after hour after hour of every day into the next generation. And when you're doing it, oh, it gets so old. It feels like all you do is listen to baby talk and crying and nursing and feeding and changing diapers. And I'll never talk to another human being again. Never get to talk to another adult. This is all I ever do. You're doing a great work. Don't you let the devil trip you up with a comparison where you're feeling like, oh, I look at my friends and they've got careers and they make all this money and they're going places with their lives and all I do is deal with pee and poop. Throwing my life away here. No, you're not. You're doing a great work. You haven't got time for comparisons. Nobody's going to have a bigger impact on the next generation than moms and dads who pour their lives into their kids. You're doing a great work. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Let me just say it at a personal level. Everybody is tempted to compare. I have people who lovingly want to encourage me to compare what God is doing through us here at Freedom Church with other places. And you know where they want to compare more than any other to the last place that I pastored. And I'll have people who lovingly mean good well by saying it. It just doesn't seem right. It's just, I mean, why isn't this so much bigger? They're growing and look around and there's probably not but a hundred or so on campus. How tragic. Can I set the record straight for you? I am not discouraged. I am not discouraged. Don't you be discouraged. Now, you may just be saying, he must have gone to a really good conference. No. Let me tell you why I'm not discouraged today. I wasn't discouraged a week ago, a year ago. Here's why I'm not discouraged. We're doing a great work here. This is a great place to be right now. But we're not going to stay where we are right now. God has given me the privilege not only of getting to help lead in this work, He gives me the privilege of seeing beyond where we are right now. You see, God's given me a chance to glimpse who we are becoming. There isn't a church in Baldwin County like the church we are going to become. And and I don't know where your brain goes with that. It may be like, are you saying we're going to be the biggest church? No, I'm absolutely not saying that. It doesn't have anything to do with how many butts we get in seats on Sunday morning. It has everything to do with God fulfilling His purposes for this church, whose greatness will be measured not by how many fannies we put in the seats, but by how many fannies we send out the door, equipped to go out and change the world. Whose greatness will be measured by how many other congregations we plant. 
Churches today are trying to see how many people we can hold on to because our strength is in our numbers. And for us to be a church that has a heart that says, absolutely not, salt isn't any good unless it gets out of the salt shaker. It's got to get out there to add flavor to the world. And we're going to be the church that says, we don't want to see how many we can hold on to. We want to see how many we can train up and send out. We want to send people around the world. We want to plant new congregations here and abroad. We're going to be that church. And it doesn't matter how many people we ever get in rooms like this. What matters is that we live for God's purposes. So don't anybody ever come in the door wanting to compare us to anybody else. There's only one thing I'm going to be compared to, and that is, do we measure up to what God has called us to do? Are we being faithful to that? I'm not going to listen to any discouraging talk because I've got a great work here to do. I've got a great calling, and so have you. So you just say back in your heart, ain't got time for that. Ain't got time for that comparison. Not going to fool with that. I've been called to a great work. All of us have. Nehemiah didn't let himself get distracted because he knew the great work that God had called him to. A second thing that passion will do for, for God's purposes is it will not only eliminate and diminish distractions, but it will push us through the pain. Somebody needs to hear this today. The pathway to your purpose is usually going to be paved with pain. It surely was for Moses. It surely was for David. It was for Esther. It was for Mary. And it was for the Lord Jesus. The pathway to fulfilling God's purpose for their lives, God's purposes, was paved with pain. And it will be for you and me. In different seasons. Because there are always spiritual enemies opposing God's work. Just as much as God wants to fulfill his purposes in your life, there's an enemy who wants to thwart that. He wants to stop you from being and doing what God made you to be and do. He's going to offer you so many opportunities for compromise. So many shortcuts to happiness without having to go through the pain. Just remember that whenever you're doing the will of God, you should expect resistance. I don't know of any believer in the New Testament age who more clearly lived out God's purpose and calling for his life than the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he knew what he was about and he did it. He was the, the great apostle to the Gentile world. That was a very unique calling. The Jews didn't care about anybody but the Jews. Paul was a Jew, and yet he realized God had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He said this in many places. 1 Timothy 2, 7, he said, And for this purpose, there we go, God's purpose. For this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Well, Paul fulfilled that calling. So surely it was just blessing, 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 wasn't it? I mean, don't you listen to the preachers on TV every day? Prosperity, blessing, health. It's just surely his life of nothing but blessing. Let me tell you what Paul said it was like. Here's what I encountered along the way. He said, I've been beaten more times than I can count. I faced death many times. I received the, quote, 40 lashes minus one from the Jews five times. What does he mean, 40 minus one? 40 lashes was considered the death sentence. Just, you know, to the guy inflicting the punishment, just go beat him to death. 40 lashes should do it with a cat of nine tails. When you want to stop just short of death, you would say, give him the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, just leave him just barely alive. Paul said, I've gotten that five times. Think about the scenes on the 
the passion of the Christ when they beat Jesus but stopping just short enough that he won't bleed quite to death. Five times they've done that to me. I was beaten with rods three times. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. Yeah, go back and reread that story. Tell me that wouldn't scare the bejeebers out of you. We're not talking about a life ring either. Treading water a day and a night in the open sea in the Mediterranean. I've been on many journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers, robbers, my people, and Gentiles. I faced dangers in the city, in the desert, on the sea, and from false brothers and sisters. I faced these dangers with hard work and heavy labor. Many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold, without enough clothes. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of opposition. But Paul said, there's just a cost. There's a cost associated with fulfilling God's purposes for your life. Paul didn't sit around and lament these things. He just said, look, this is some of what I've had to weather. But it was okay. Because I knew God's purposes were being fulfilled. So, you know, bring it on. You want to sink the ship? Sink the ship. Because I'm not going down with the ship unless God says he's finished with me. You want to beat me with a rod? You want to beat me with a whip? Well, have at it. But you're not going to take my life until God says he's done with me. There's pain that goes with living for God's purposes. I don't know that kind of pain. I do not. I wouldn't pretend to. The worst I've ever suffered is having people say bad things about me. And that hurts. You, you've had to live with that kind of pain. I've had plenty of people say bad stuff about me. I, I know what that's like. I've had people just completely try and cut off at the, at the knees, you know. God's calling on my life or what we're doing at Freedom Church. And just people who are just, oh, how could anybody want to have anything to do with it? That hurts, but I will tell you, it doesn't hurt for long. It doesn't hurt for long because I know that we're fulfilling God's purpose. I know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing here. So what anybody else thinks just doesn't matter a whole lot. It just, purpose gets you through the pain. And one final thing that, that living for God's purposes will do for you is it just empowers you to please God and is simplifying life in the process. You know, Peter and the other apostles, Peter and John have been beaten and threatened. You know, we're going to lock you up and beat you worse. We may kill you if you don't stop doing this. And their response to this in Acts 5 was, you know, we must obey God rather than human beings. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. You're going to spend your life either trying to satisfy and obey and please human beings or please God. Moses, when he was confronted with his great dilemma, the difficult thing for him was if he lived for God's purposes, he was going to make everybody unhappy. You ever think about how terrible that was for Moses? Not only did Pharaoh despise him and all of the Egyptians hate him because two million slave workers are being taken away, but the Jews hated him. Because when Moses stepped in to do what God said to do, what happened? The Egyptians got mad. They put much more work on them. And he said, just beat them that much more. Abuse them that much worse. And so the Jews are like, what are you doing, man? Who appointed you the leader? You're not helping. You're only making it worse. Everybody hates him. But at this point, Moses isn't living for the approval of anybody but God. He knew what God had called him to do. He was clear on that. And so he could live to please an audience of only one. I want you to just stop and think for a minute about how miserable the people-pleasing life is. Do you want to spend the rest of your days trying to make sure that your choices, your decisions, your wardrobe, 
your words, what you post on Facebook, all pass muster for everybody else. It's everybody else's seal of approval. Think how exhausting that is. Is there anybody in the room who would want to live the rest of your life that way? You will never make them happy. Somebody, some bunch of somebodies is always going to disapprove of your life and your choices. You'll never satisfy them all. But there is an alternative. You can please God. You can't please the world. You can please God. We, I mean, that's the final thought. We can't please everyone, but we can please God. How do you please God? It's so simple. By loving Him and trusting Him and committing day by day, God, today I want to live for your purposes. It doesn't have to be anything big and grand. I don't have to know how it fits into the big scheme of things. But today, God, I want to know you, live in a relationship with you, and whatever little assignments you've got for me today, that's the head of my agenda. Whatever else I'm doing today, you nudge me. You give me opportunities to live for you, and that's what I'll do. And for whatever my ongoing assignments are, God, I'll be faithful in that. If I'm a student, God, I'll recognize that this is a part of your great work that you've called me to, and I'll do my best in algebra. I'll do my best to learn all that stuff in human anatomy. Because I realize you're positioning me for what you want to do with the rest of my life. And if right now, God's assignment for you and God's purposes for you mean that you're missing a lot of parties, that you're missing a lot of action with you know dating and being in that scene where everybody else you know they're sleeping around and they're partying and they're having a great time and you feel like man I've, I'm kind of missing all that because I'm staying at home and I'm, I'm dodging all of that you're fulfilling God's purposes and there's a great reward that comes with that you're stuck in the middle of taking care of a preschooler day after day Feeling like, oh, is my life counting for anything? Did I give up all the stuff that really matters? A life of pee and poop instead of a meaningful career. I want to tell you, in the midst of all of that pee, you're fulfilling a lot of little pee purposes. That ultimately, there's going to be a gigantic purpose fulfilled as you impact the next generation. That's a life that's pleasing to God. We've got a choice to make. It really is a choice. Will you live to please others, or will you live for the purposes of God? Together, let's choose to live for His purposes as a church and as individual followers of Christ. Would you bow together with me in prayer? Those of you watching and listening at home, would you bow together with us? I want to ask you a very straightforward question. How many of you would say that you personally struggle with being distracted by... What other people think, with being distracted by other people's opinions, struggle with comparing yourself to others. Just just raise your hand as a confession. Yep, that's that hit me. Thanks for your honesty in that. I want to just invite you to join me right now 
and praying that God would help us today and every day from this point forward to choose to live for Him and His purposes. God, I pray that today your, your work, your Spirit would do a work deep in our hearts to free us up from needing to please others, from worrying about what others think. Lord, some of us need to be healed from that. Some of us have believed lies from the enemy that our lives don't count, that our time has been wasted. I pray that today you would replace the lies of the enemy with your truth. That you would free us from needing to compare. And that today you would set us free to walk in what you have for us. God, for some of us who, who feel like our lives have just not counted, help us to catch a glimpse today of how much you smile when you look at our lives. How pleased you are that we are yours. Would you help us today to embrace your purposes for our lives? Would you give us opportunities today to represent you well? And maybe you realized in listening today that the whole idea of living for God's purposes for your life don't connect with you because you don't really know God in a personal way. He longs for you to. He's paid the price for your sins through the death of His Son, Jesus. And today, you can begin to embrace a relationship with Him and His plan and purposes for your life by responding in faith. Why don't you just pray in faith a simple prayer with me that says, Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want to live in a relationship with you. Please come into my life. Please forgive my sins and make a new person out of me. Instead of living for myself or for anyone else, I want to live for you. Have your way in me. God, I thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. Thank you for pouring out today on us what we need. Help us to live worthy of you in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.